Hi, I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. word. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our podcast today. We are working um, through John right now. Here we are in the middle of Lent, and we're in John 9, verses 1 through 41, and this is yet another one of those come-to-faith kind of stories that we've been working through. So I'm going to uh, have Alan really talk about this particular story. Thanks, Christy. Yeah, uh, our gospel lesson this week provides us with kind of a narrative enactment of some of the themes in John's gospel, and two major themes in particular, sin and salvation. These are themes that run throughout John's gospel, and we've encountered these themes before and discussed some of the problems with embracing the Johannine perspective on sin and salvation as an ultimate verdict on humankind. Mm -hmm. And we'll take a look today at the contribution that John's gospel makes from its unique perspective of realized eschatology. So this is the the miracle of the healing of the blind man. Yes. Um, And so, you know, what happens in this story? Well, one of the interesting features of this healing miracle is that it doesn't look like a typical healing miracle in the Gospels. There's no Mm -hmm. request for healing from the man blind from birth that Jesus and his disciples encountered. And in fact, the man himself is only in the background at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the narrative. Um, there are, of course, other instances of Jesus healing the blind right. in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, a couple of accounts in, in Matthew and Mark. Uh, but only Mark's account in Mark chapter 8 includes the detail of Jesus using dirt and spittle to heal a man born mm-hmm. blind. You know, I, I, when, I first, when I think about this, I was like, oh, well, this is just another healing miracle. But there's this emphasis on blind from birth. Is that mm-hmm. significant? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and, and this, this presented the occasion for the Jesus disciples to raise the question of sin. Because the fact that he was blind from birth raised the question, as the, as the disciples phrased it in verse 2, who sinned, this man or his parents, mm-hmm. that he was born blind? And this reflects a, sort of the traditional causal connection between sin and illness or suffering in general. Mm-hmm. And it was based on a theme in the Deuteronomistic history in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Deuteronomy and the history mm-hmm. books influenced by its view that God punishes children to the third and fourth generation for the sin of the parents. That's in the mm-hmm. Ten Commandments in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. And also, we have a whole chapter in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that that, uh, the blessings of Israel result from obedience while disobedience brings curses. Mm -hmm. And we have that worked out in the history books of Samuel and Kings because, you know, one of the, basically the theme, uh, especially of the books of Kings, is that when the king does what's right in the sight of the Lord, the people do what's right in the sight of the Lord and they thrive and they have their blessed. And when the the king does does what's evil in the sight of the Lord, the people do what's evil in the sight of the Lord and they're they're you know punished mm-hmm. and so you have this kind of causal connection between sin and suffering or sin even an illness uh, that is that reflects this this um, this part of the of the Hebrew Bible at some point along the way the Jewish dialogue about sin did actually consider the possibility that it was possible to sin in utero Mm -hmm. and thus bring a malady like blindness from birth upon oneself. And uh, one of the examples would be Jacob and Esau striving together in the womb, you know. Right, right. You know, this is presented as an example that that it's possible to sin in utero. You know, I, I... 
I keep thinking this is so bizarrely foreign to how we think today. And yet we can still see this in some groups, um, you know, throughout the world. And, sure. and some, and, I mean, World War II was filled with this kind of, yeah. of attitude, but it's just, it's just, Oh, it's just so horrible. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's this it's this um, so the you know the the casuistic approach to what's what's right and what's wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, right. um, I mean, it, to some extent, a casuistic approach is like taking a case by case situation. Right. Right. But but it becomes this if 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 then mm -hmm. kind of thing, and um, which computer programmers are familiar with but but you know in an ethical situation you know it, it almost becomes rigid yes. and 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 superficial and um definitely a way to reinforce one's own self-righteousness uh, and, yes and yes. so you know casuistic law and especially is the way the way it was used in in judaism um really kind of took that turn of of um um, reinforcing the righteousness of the people who were who were <laughs> uh, responsible for making the laws and definitely um, um, invalidating the people who were seen to be mm -hmm. outside the circle of that righteousness. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. But Jesus, Jesus has a different view. Yes, and he does not endorse this view at all. In fact, the point. I would say even before Jesus, the point of the book of Job was to explode the notion that mm -hmm. dominated Jewish thought through the influence of the Deuteronomistic history. Uh, you know, that's the whole point of Job. Uh, absolutely. You know, because his right? friends come to him and say, you, you know, if you, if you sinned, <laughs> you know, then then you must have done. If you're, if, you know, if you're suffering, you must have sinned. So right. confess your sin and you'll be okay. Right. And even at the end, God says, you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant job has mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it really kind of explodes that whole point mm -hmm. of view um, but instead of taking this man's blindness as punishment for sin jesus takes a completely different viewpoint he was born blind so that god's works might be revealed in him mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is i mean totally different right yeah and so to this also relates to an important theme in John's gospel, which is that Jesus was sent to accomplish God's works, and which in this context, God's works uh, involve freeing this man from his blindness, both physically and spiritually, both healing him from his blindness and also helping, helping him to awaken to faith. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's, it's foundational. And I think this is something we should see. One of the foundational themes in John's gospel is that Jesus' presence makes the presence represents the presence of God incarnate. And so he can say in, Je in John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And this, of course, echoes the light of the world discourse in mm -hmm. John chapter yep. 8. Yeah, it does. Uh, but it also makes it possible for God's works to be done because Jesus is the presence of right. God incarnate. And so th this is a facet of the realized eschatology of John's gospel that is very significant, that, you know, um, so much emphasis is placed on the incarnation. You know, our theology of Jesus and, 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 and the, you know, what his works, the work that Jesus accomplished is, is heavily influenced by the ideas of the cross and the resurrection 
um, um, as we see it in the rest of the New mm-hmm. Testament and, and to some extent in the Synoptic Gospels. John's Gospel points more toward the incarnation as, the, as one of the major facets of, of mm-hmm. uh, what God is doing in Christ and how the fact that, that his the fact that he represents the presence of God incarnate brings light, brings life to people, mm-hmm. even at this point, even at this stage, and we'll we'll come back to that. But uh, this is this is something that's important in terms of the realized eschatology of John's gospel. <laughs> well, because it takes us to this healing next, right? Right, right. So now, again, this is an unusual healing story. There's very little about the actual healing here. As I mentioned, the man himself makes no request. That was common in the healing stories of the Gospels. There's no description of his difficulties, which also was something of a, of a commonality in the, in the healing stories. He is simply there to provide an opportunity for God's works to be revealed. That's, mm-hmm. that's the primary purpose of this, of this miracle. And so Jesus applies a salve of mud on his eyes and tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And we're told that he came back able to see. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, seems like a pretty spectacular miracle that gets kind of played down mm-hmm. <laughs> in John's gospel. But this provokes a controversy among the neighbors who knew him. Um, and again, You know, this is a theme in John's gospel. Controversy about Jesus and his deeds is a feature of much of John's gospel. Some believed him to be, some believed this man to be the one who was blind, and some did not. Mm -hmm. And so they're debating about this. And it sets up the opportunity for the man himself to attest to the works of God that Jesus had done. He says in verse 11, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. Mm So, so. This is going to be the start of a process similar to what happened with the Samaritan woman, that this man's going to go through a similar kind of gradual awakening of his own faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, one of the interesting things here is the is the whole washing concept mm-hmm. of it. You know, uh, it, it, it didn't, Jesus didn't just, you know, be, right. be, be seen. Right. I mean, there was this whole process of putting on the, and, 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 and in doing that, Maybe, maybe not. Is there some agency on the washing, or is that is that an awakening process? Does it have a baptism thing? What's you know? I it's it's interesting because you know I've talked about this before in in and a little bit in that um, you know there's some of the miracles where Jesus simply speaks the word, mm-hmm. right? Your faith has saved you, and that's it. Um, and really it's that, it's that parallel in Mark chapter eight, where Jesus heals the man who was blind there. You know, he does the same thing. He, so he makes the, he makes the salve with, with, uh, with spittle and mud and, and he rubs it on his eyes and asks him if he can see. And the man says, well, I see men, but they look like trees. Mm -hmm. And so he has to repeat it. So there are these, there are these descriptions of miracles that don't follow the normal pattern that you would expect. And, you know, I've often said that in the context of the Synoptic Gospels, I think that's there as a kind of a, almost a way of showing the authenticity of the Synoptic Gospel tradition that, you know, this is not a miracle story that somebody would make up about mm-hmm. Jesus and put in here because mm-hmm. it makes it sound like it didn't take the first time in Mark's right, Gospel. Right, right. And the same thing's true here. You know, it's there's 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 a lot here, you know, the use of, 
of mud that's made from dirt and spittle to heal a person born blind, washing in a pool. The, these these relate to kind of almost magical notions of mm-hmm. the of the ancient world, and you wouldn't think to ascribe those to Jesus, right? If it, if it if it hadn't hadn't actually happened that way. So that's that's been my take on these kind of mm-hmm. details. Okay, okay, and so then. After the healing, we go to the scene with the Pharisees. Yep, yep. And and the second scene in the narrative is where the Pharisees or the Jews, and again, here it's the Jewish religious leaders, as it is oftentimes in John's gospel, they interrogate the man and his parents. Um, we're not told who they were who brought the man to the Pharisees, but we are told why. In verse 14, John's gospel says, Now it was a Sabbath day, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And again, much of what Jesus does in fulfilling the works of God runs afoul of the Jewish religious leaders in John's gospel. Mm -hmm. And this is a theme, you know, especially the fact that he does things on the Sabbath that they think he shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. So the, the fact that he would do something that they had decided was prohibited on the Sabbath day potentially called into question their authority as interpreters Mm -hmm. of the Torah and also threatened to unravel the conventions that bound together Jewish society as a whole, mm-hmm. which was why it was seen as such a such a, a scandalous thing. You know, I'm going on a tangent here, but I, I keep thinking of the revivals, you know, the 18th century revivals, you know, when they mm-hmm. would heal on the Sabbath. That was mm-hmm. like when they would heal because it's, it's, it's like this kind of, they don't, I don't know, there's something about that this isn't really an act of God, that this is a, a healer is more of a, a secular kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, am, am I, I, maybe I'm just going off on a tangent too far, but I just find, I, I find that, I find this whole argument kind of, um, kind of limiting of God, who God mm, is. Right. It, wouldn't, wouldn't the Sabbath be the ideal time to heal, right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that was, that's the argument Jesus said, made, exactly. right? You know, yeah. In, in yeah. the Synoptic Gospels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, anyway, yeah, that it's drawn out here is just a, it, 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 it reminds you of just how ingrained the law is of being the only way to, um, to live out God's world. And, and that, that's, they become so caught up into that. that well, and we're going to, we're going to see in this, in this passage that the Pharisees and the man born blind sort of swap places. Yeah. That, that the one who was born blind is able to see and the, those who are right. sighted are really blind. Exactly. And, and exactly. This yeah. Is, I think yeah. this is part of that here is that they're, they're stuck in their own assumptions. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, the question is how, how is, this this man healed. Yeah, and Who that's what, that's how, that's that's what they asked him. And basically, how did he receive his sight? And the man replied by telling him that he had told his neighbor what he had told his neighbors. Basically, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. And although the man doesn't name Jesus, it's clear from the context that's who he's talking about. And this provokes a debate among the Pharisees, which I think is something surprising. Uh, some of them insisted this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fact that he breaks their, their mm-hmm. understanding of the Sabbath means that he's a sinner and therefore not from God. Right. Others asked in reply, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? In verse 16. So some of the Jewish religious leaders were able to recognize that Jesus was able to perform signs that seemed to point to the presence of God. And I'm reminded of Nicodemus. Nicodemus Uh comes to him and says, you know, we know that you have come from God because no one can do the signs that you do except God is with him in, in John three, two. And so, um, um, you know, 
this is this is significant, I think. It's also significant in that the term signs, as we've talked about before in John's Gospel, is one of the major themes in, in John's Gospel. They're, they are the unique means by which Jesus reveals the grace and truth that he came to reveal as the word made flesh. Mm-hmm. And so there are, there are these instances that happen like this that are, con- that are mm-hmm. uh, construed as signs. And um, at the end, you know, we're going to see that the purpose of these signs is to, is to lead us to faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think, though, that one of the surprising parts about this part of the, of, the, of the narrative is that we're not used to seeing the Jewish religious leaders themselves portrayed as debating among themselves, right. you know, right. pro and con about Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more common in John's gospel for, um, uh, the, for the crowds to be debating his identity. Uh, you see this in John chapter 7, for example. And I wonder if perhaps John, John isn't doing this intentionally to leave room for someone like Nicodemus mm-hmm. to side with Jesus eventually. Well, and I, lo- I love that it also provides a space for Pharisees to be sa- saved, to, yeah, if to you be will, believers. to be yeah. believers. Um, I like that. Well, yeah. and you find and you find there is a reference in the book of Acts that, that there were some... Uh, um, um, yeah. Some of the believers in the early church had been scribes or Pharisees, right, right. you know, yeah. and and so you know it doesn't cut them off entirely. Yeah. So Jesus, um, you know, obviously, who is Jesus? Then I guess is the question I had. Well, and yeah, I mean that's that's what they're debating, right? Yeah. That's what the yeah. Pharisees are debating among themselves. They can't right. even agree on it among themselves. So they turned to the man who had been blind and asked him what they thought about what he thought about Jesus, and he simply replied, "He's a prophet." But there should be bells going off here. We should be hearing resonances with Jesus' dialogue with a Samaritan woman at this point, mm-hmm. because when her faith in Jesus began to awaken, she also thought him to be a prophet in John four nineteen, mm-hmm. and so that's what's going on here. Like like the woman at the well the man born blind is going through his own gradual process through which his faith will be awakened and interestingly enough you know in comparison with the samaritan woman she goes through that process in dialogue with jesus that's not what's happening here but rather it is in debate with the jewish religious leaders about jesus and what he had done for this man that the man who had been blind has his own awakening to faith which I, th- I find is 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 very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then we head to the next scene. Yeah. So the next scene in the narrative seems to imply that the Jews, or that is the Jewish religious leaders, were looking for a way to deny that Jesus had worked anything like a sign by denying that this man had been born blind. So basically, they're saying that someone's pulling a scam on us here. That this isn't mm-hmm. really real. And so they call the man's parents and ask, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents attest that the man was indeed their son and that he was indeed born blind, but they tell the religious leaders to ask their son how he could see and who opened his eyes. They're, mm-hmm. they're not going to take the bait. And this leads to a narrative aside in John nine twenty two that likely reflects the situation of the Johannine community more than the situation mm-hmm. of Jesus' mm-hmm. ministry. Mm-hmm. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So, you know, uh, this, as we've said before, this seems to reflect the situation that was on, ongoing in John's gospel uh, for, for um, ongoing in the Johannine community um, during the time when John's gospel was written. Uh, but even at that, you know, 
It's likely that even at the time when John's gospel was written, the separation of Christians from the synagogue was still in process. So Mm -hmm. it still was not a done deal. It was still going on. Right, exactly. And so, um, again, we we need to be careful of reading too much into this. But I think it's important for us to – this is a major, major um, uh, text for understanding John's gospel and John's outlook on some of these – issues of sin and salvation because we see here you know the reflection of a community that was under attack right yeah 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 i i, I like that we could see the what's going on in the community too as mm-hmm. we're as, as we're interpreting this in this community that's kind of christian and kind of jewish and mm-hmm. yeah it's it's pretty interesting actually it has a good it has good historical bones right right um so what happens in the next scene well, in the following scene, then the Jewish leaders bring them back, bring back the man who'd been blind a second time, and they try to force him to recant. Basically, they tell him, "Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner." In John nine twenty four, mm-hmm. this statement is filled with irony because, as Jesus said from the start, the man who had been born blind was born blind so that God's works may be yeah, revealed in yeah, him. Right? Yeah. In other words, this man himself is a walking testimony to the glory of God revealed by Jesus. Yes. But they refused to see this because they were blinded by their assumption that mm-hmm. Jesus had to be a sinner for violating the Sabbath, at least mm-hmm. as they understood it, right? Yeah, yeah. So again, this raises the question of defining sin. In their eyes, uh, sin was going against their teachings, that is, going against the teachings of the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders. And yet, how many of us can see ourselves in this this? the same position sometimes yeah. right would we be able to always see the the blessings because the person that had carried it out we didn't think was uh, able to right. or called right. to right. or right. um and of course this is jesus right this is right. yeah so it's 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 i mean it, it kind of if you're reading this you're kind of like oh i could see i mean i i think we read this and we we think oh we would see through that but i think mm-hmm. I think, um, I, well, I think it's it tells the, us how... It's the nature of institutional religion, right? Yeah. Is that the, the institution becomes ossified, to use your bones analogy, right? Yeah, it becomes exactly. hardened, and, and, and it's hard to, 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 to change the metaphor. It's hard to color outside the lines or, or to exactly. think outside the box because yeah. Yeah, that, that's, exactly. the whole per, exactly. that's the whole nature of, of institutionalized religion. Exactly. So moving on... Um, the uh, how does how does the man respond so in response then to their prodding the man answered by recounting his experience simply mm-hmm. he just says this one thing i do know though i was blind now i see mm-hmm. in verse 25 and when they ask him to repeat his story perhaps to catch him in any potential discrepancy again it seems like their point is trying yeah. to deny that this really ever right. happened uh, he answered, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So at this point, the man, I think, has recognized that the religious leaders weren't interested in the truth. And so he rather boldly responds to their continued questioning by taunting them in mm-hmm. a sense. Right, he does. Yeah. And of course, they don't take kindly to being spoken to that way. They remind the man that they're disciples of Moses and that we know that God has spoken to Moses in verses 20, 29. Mm-hmm. Here we have again the voice of authority within the confines of institutionalized religion, right? Right, exactly. And and basically they're just they're asserting their authority to speak for God. 
By contrast, they repeat a question that follows Jesus in God's, John's gospel. Again, this is another theme in John's gospel. They, they, they can't quite bring themselves to believe in Jesus because they don't know where he came from. Uh, they think he was born in Nazareth, and you know how could, how could, mm-hmm. how could a Messiah be, come from Galilee? But in John's gospel, this too is a matter of irony because mm-hmm. um, their question comes from a concern for the place of Jesus' birth, whereas the gospel itself makes it clear that Jesus' origin is with God. Right. Jesus comes from right. God whom, who has sent him to be the word made flesh. You know, it's interesting. As I read this on so many different, with and trying to place myself in, as, as so many different types of readers, right? But I... I think this is really interesting because as I as I read it today, um, as as a person of faith, this is so, this just sings out so loudly. You know, you just mm-hmm. kind of like oh, but it it kind of reinforces your faith as well. But it's like, mm-hmm. duh, why right. don't they get it? Right. But maybe that's part of what John was. Trying I think to do. so. I think so. I mean, I think he's trying to point out the the willful blindness on the part of the Jewish religious mm. leaders here. They I like that they are, are mm-hmm. they are refusing to see right. what is right in front right. of their faces. Yeah. So what happens next? How does what does the man who's born blind do next? Well, at this point he takes the initiative and moves from being interrogated to instructing <laughs> these Jewish religious leaders. Again, takes some takes quite Which, a bit of boldness well, on his part. Especially someone who has lived his life up to this point being completely voiceless and disregarded. Overlooked, mm-hmm. marginalized, wow. absolutely yeah. to the max, yeah. So here he exclaims, basically in response to their, in reply to them, well, here's an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this were not, man were not from God, he could do nothing. And, and essentially... The man born blind repeats back to them what Nicodemus, Mm -hmm. speaking as one of the Jewish religious leaders, had said that we know, we know, right? So here's Mm -hmm. Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders in John 3, 2, saying, we know that no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And the the implication is he's not the only one among the Jewish religious leaders that recognizes this. Mm -hmm. And we see that reflected in in the argument among the Jewish religious leaders themselves about, you know, could Jesus actually do this? Right. So the very fact, but the very fact of the man's healing contradicts their whole argument and demonstrates not only their ignorance of the truth about Jesus, but again, also their willful, willful blindness, blindness to the light that he represented. Mm-hmm. More than that, we see another stage in his awakening faith. He recognizes that Jesus must be from God or he could not have healed him. Right. So again, he's taking another step toward mm-hmm. faith in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And this is an interesting feature of these the narratives, I think, in John's gospel, and something I had not seen before now, you know, that, that in both in the case with the woman at the well and in the case with uh, the, the man born blind, that there's this gradual awakening to faith that happens, yeah, which I find I, I, fascinating. Yeah, it really is fascinating, and I, I actually really like that, and we mm-hmm. see it really with Nicodemus, too. I mean, he mm-hmm. leaves confounded, right? but we see him later, right. so... Right. Um, which, which to me, you know, there is the there is the there is the model of Paul who has this dramatic conversion process experience on the road to Damascus, and that has been held up by so many as the ideal, as the as as the example to, to follow for for what it means to come to faith. But I love this this you know 
this process mm-hmm. idea that right. because to me it's it's much more uh, true to life right and, and so I like this I like this I, the fact that I it's represented too. in these narratives in I John's do gospel. too yeah. I do too we could talk about some of that later maybe yeah but, yeah, um, yeah it might be a talking point I think so so um so then um the man's driven out right and and notice. Driving out reflects here, reflect in verse 34, reflects the earlier statement in verse 22 that they were going to cast out those who confessed that their faith in Jesus right, right. as the Messiah from the synagogue. So the question here is, did they drive the man out of their presence or did they drive the man out uh, of the Jewish community? Yeah. You know, because because of the sort of nuance there that reflects John 9.22, it's hard to say. But, mm. uh, but he basi- kind of was already out of the Jewish he was, community, he right? Was. He was he was a, a, an outsider and excluded, yeah, in, in for you know because of his blindness, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but they they basically returned to the place where the disciples had started at the beginning of the narrative. They assumed that the man who was born blind had to have been born entirely in sins because he was born blind. Right. Right. So then Jesus returns in the final scene. Yep. And this is one of the unique features of this narrative is that Jesus is entirely absent for most of this ne- the story, right? Yeah. Except as the focus of debate. I mean, um, you know, Jesus and his disciples encounter the, the blind man. You know, he, he tells him to, to, to wash. You know, he, he puts, the, puts the salve on his eyes, tells him to wash. After that, we don't hear from Jesus from verse 7 on until here in verse 35. Mm-hmm. And so, apparently, I think we are to presume that Jesus heard the outcome of the interrogation, and he found the man who had been born blind. He, he took the initiative to find the man mm-hmm. who was blind and asked him a loaded question. <laughs> Do you believe in the Son of Man? In verse 35. Mm-hmm. Now, we've seen some of this in the context of our discussion of the Synoptic Gospels. The figure of the Son of Man was one that was present in Second Temple Judaism, but not common Mm -hmm. typically the phrase occurs in apocalyptic literature as a reference to the one who will carry out the final Mm -hmm. judgment and be given authority over the kingdom of god so we see that for example in daniel 7 the one like the son of man who comes before the ancient of days and first enoch which is a document that's written probably about a hundred years or so after daniel um, also reflects a similar notion about the Son of Man mm. being the one who's going to carry out, you know, yeah. God's will yeah. and judgment. Yeah, very, very interesting. And and I, as I as you were talking about this whole thing here, um, um, about Jesus, Jesus not being present, I I found that really interesting because when if you look at the art of this, it's always the centerpiece is always the healing, and mm-hmm. all, everything else is happening around it. And it made me wonder here, the way this is written, it's almost like that's not the centerpiece. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not, but that it's this, maybe it's the, what happens after the miracle that's the, mm-hmm. the ha- right. I'm not sure, but it did strike me here that right. Jesus is, compl- I mean, who who would have raised their hand and said, oh, Jesus is completely absent for all those. You assume he's at the center. Right, um, right. Yeah. But he's not there while well, during the during the no. the interrogation uh-uh. during most of the narrative, exactly. right? Exactly. Right? Almost like the miracle could be put to the side in this yeah. discussion. The, the focal point is the debate yeah. among the, yeah. the Jewish leaders, mm-hmm. yeah, with with the man and the Jewish leaders. 
So now, as, as I mentioned before, as with the Samaritan woman, Jesus is here drawing this man to faith. And that's, that's part of the point of this question, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man responds by asking Jesus to tell him who this Son of Man was so that he might believe. And Jesus responded, as he did with the Samaritan woman, in a very similar way. You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he, in verse, 97, in verse 37. And so at this point, the man's faith is fully awakened because he not only affirms, Lord, I believe, again, using the, using the term Lord now, you know, curios could be translated sir, but I think the new RSV is rightly translates it as Lord, because mm. I think in this, in this context of a confession of faith, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But he also worships Jesus, and the act of worship is only appropriate for God, not only in the Bible, but particularly in John's gospel. And thus, this man's action implicitly recognizes that Jesus represented the very presence of God in John's gospel. Mm -hmm. So again, we have that theme of the word made flesh sort of resonating with the fact that this man would worship Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so how does Jesus respond? So he responds with a uniquely Johannine comment about sin and salvation. Mm -hmm. I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which, you know, there's some, there's some real, I mean, part of this is the situation, right? Right. The man who was born blind, he has his blindness healed, but more importantly, he's awakened to faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the Pharisees, and the other Jewish leaders who can see, can't see what's plainly in front of their face. Right. You know, Jesus has done something miraculous that, you know, here he's healed this man born blind as a testament to the works of God and to the glory of God. And they mm-hmm. refuse to recognize it because they have shut their eyes. They are blind. So, so part of this is just reflecting the situation. But part of this is larger. In, in the Johannine context, this is a very unique, typically Johannine comment about sin and salvation um, that, you know, um, that, that, that Jesus' presence provokes sort of a crisis of decision, and you, you sort of get one shot at it. Mm-hmm. You either believe and you have eternal right. life, or you don't believe and you're condemned, mm-hmm. right? And that's the Johannine perspective, and we, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But okay, we've, yeah. we've talked about that before, and we're going to come back yeah, to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so apparently some of the Pharisees were present for this interaction. Apparently there were some who were who had mm-hmm. who had been with him. And they object basically to this statement. Of and in terms of a characteristic John's gospel, Jesus tells them that because they claim to see but don't recognize the works of God he was doing, they were indeed blind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, you know, that we've seen this before, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Um the point here is similar to the one made in John three seventeen through 21. Sin constitutes a refusal to recognize the revelation of God's works by Jesus and a refusal to believe mm-hmm. in him. And so this is important because sin is in relation to God and in relation to Jesus. Right. It's not about sins right. in terms of what we, what do, we do to one another. And that's huge. This is huge. That's a very important key to John's gospel. Right. Sin is in relation to God and, and particularly in relation to one's response to well, Jesus. Well, it, it reminds me, and well, <laughs> reminds me of a, a woman who, who comes up and she's, she's an atheist. She says, well, I'm not a sinner. And mm. to me, it's like, you don't even understand what that is, <laughs> right? right? You know? Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And similarly, salvation in John's gospel does not consist of an ultimate fate as a result of a distant judgment, but rather it is a matter of responding to the light that Jesus brings with 
faith. So we respond with faith to the light that Jesus himself represents. So it's a, it's a fulfillment of the statement in the prologue, in him was life and the life was the light of all people in John 1, mm-hmm. 4. So we see that, again, this is part of the realized eschatology of John's gospel. Jesus very incarnation, the fact that he is the word made flesh, already makes salvation available, already makes eternal life available now, even before the cross. Wow, yeah. Which is, is, that's very important for us to see. Even before the cross in John's gospel, people can have eternal life simply because Jesus manifests the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the one who brings life that is the light for all people. Now, I think we have to recognize at the same time that John's gospel was written with the whole process of Jesus being lifted up on the cross in the resurrection and at the ascension mm-hmm. having taken place. Right. Right. right? right. So there's, there's, there's this one sense in which John wants to present, you know, Jesus incarnation as conveying eternal life. But the whole perspective of John's gospel is after right. the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. Right. And so it's kind of a, both and to some extent, but but I think we, we need to see that the that the importance of the incarnation in John's gospel here is central, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, um, Eastern Orthodox theologians focus so much on John, and they draw a lot of their yeah. soteriology from these kind of con- these kind of concepts. We see some of their soteriology coming out of I think John's gospel. I I, I agree. Yeah, yeah I yeah. agree. So. You know, and I think I think we can certainly embrace this emphasis that Jesus' very presence reflects, represents the light of eternal life that is available to those who believe through the transformative power of God's love mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. in the Word made flesh. So His very presence makes salvation possible for those who believe in Him, and I think we can embrace that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, <laughs> as we've seen before, the other side of the coin is that those who refuse to believe in Jesus, according to John's gospel, stood condemned already. Mm-hmm. And as we saw when we discussed John three seventeen to twenty one, John's con- John's gospel reflects a dualistic conceptual framework. Yes, it lives in a very dualistic thought word world that contrasts very starkly those who are believers with those who do not believe in the starkest of terms. It's like yep. night and day. Yep. It's like light and darkness. It's like good and evil. There is no in between. You either believe right. and you have life, or you don't believe and you're condemned. And this likely resulted from the Johannine Christians coming under fire and even being expelled by the Jewish synagogue leaders. And, you know, we can see how it would be natural for a community that felt so threatened to adopt these ideas. But I think in our day, it is dangerous for us to turn their circumstance into a soteriology, into a theology of salvation yeah. that is rigid and exclusive. I, I agree. And a lot of people do and that. And it's one of the dangers of, of John. Yes, you know, it is. I remember as, as a new pastor, I thought, oh, we'll take a Bible study through John. And uh, I had a, a more seasoned pastor suggest that that probably wasn't the best place to start because people can really read into it, yep. um, this kind of dualism. Well, and... and um, you know, so it's the it's the there we see here the the blessing and the pitfall of John's realized eschatology. The blessing is that in Jesus, as the one who is the Word made flesh, um, God's gift of life is available to all right, people. Right, right, which is so beautiful. That's right? beautiful, but 
the 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 other side of it is that you have this dualistic mindset of so you have to believe now and if you don't you're condemned right. and 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 that's it you yeah. know and yep. that's not really true to life and it's not true to the new testament uh, right. as a whole right. and it you know it just it 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 it, um, it brings in i think sort of the the um the stark either or situation of the Johannine community being put under right. so much pressure. Right? right. And it takes it, it turns that situation into a theological uh, affirmation. Yeah. And I, yeah. I just don't think that's, that's a wise way to use. John's I agree. Gospel. I agree. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Hi, friends, we're back, and we're going to let Christy uh, take us through what the Reformers saw in this passage. Sure, and I was kind of just really curious about the Reformers' attitude towards how the, the actual healing in this, and I, I didn't actually find everything I was hoping to find today. <laughs> didn't have time to dig as far as I wanted, but um, I do think um, the scene they point out is interesting because of the contrast because of, of who is the sinner and who is yeah. righteous. And we've already kind of, well, um, yeah, that, that seen seems that to be the mm-hmm. central focus of mm-hmm. the narrative with the conclusion, you know, between those who are, mm-hmm. those who can't see or are, are, are able to see and right. those who think they can right. see are really blind. And so this is something obviously that the reformers pick up on as well. As Calvin points out, these are the people, um, that, um, do false miracles that the, um, that can trick people, and he believes that the Pharisees are trying to present Jesus in this light. So, in other words, there's people that um, that are pretending to, to perform miracles that, that appear that way that really aren't actually tr- actually true. Uh, true healers of from God and 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 so well, they and, try to put him in that context right well and and just as an aside there I mean you know the ancient world was filled with people who did this kind of thing exactly exactly and we even um, have we even have some the, we have have some papyri remnants that have some of their actual incantations that they yeah used, exactly you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah so. so and so but Calvin um, points out that they that the Pharisees don't understand that Jesus is working not by by the law, but through the Holy Spirit, and claims even that, quote, good people and those that fear God can perform miracles that are undoubted pledges of the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is really interesting that there's this ability of the Holy Spirit to work through humanity, and of course, particularly through Jesus. Uh, well, and you know, I was, I was kind of surprised by this because it's my understanding that the Calvinist tradition um, and again, the Calvinist tradition, mm-hmm. not necessarily Calvin, but the Calvinist tradition emphasizes that miracles and healings and things like that were confined to the New Testament era. So, I mean, yeah. is Calvin leaving this open for people today to do this? No, or is this I, a I focus on Jesus? You know, and that would be part of Calvin. And I, I, I really viewed this as just a response to that. I, I think one of the challenges we have is we expect to read someone like Calvin and expect all the ideas to be tied up in a bow and, mm. and, and, and perfect. And I think he's really at this point just responding to this passage through the commentaries uh-huh. without maybe going to the further reflections that you're going to see in um, the institutes, which is the, the, the theology piece. And I think you always have to give people space 
for that development of ideas. But I, I think his point here really is more just about the Holy Spirit will be will will be where where it wants to be sure. and and can. And, and that God can do whatever God wants. I think it's part right. of that God's sovereignty piece right. more than it right. is about the actual miracles. And I didn't go, as I maybe had thought I would initially, I did not actually go into then its discussions of this, this era of miracles versus what later on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here, here Calvin's comment really is reflecting the fact that Jesus was was um, doing this by the power of the Spirit. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yes. Um so one of the additional things that the reformers point out is that someone who was born blind was truly seen by the Pharisees as the most sinful of mm-hmm. people, right? That this person was sinful in spirit and body and born within the punishment of sin. And we, we talked about that earlier. Yeah, yeah. And in the eyes of his Pharisees, his blindness left, blindness left him without even the ability to be righteous, mm that this blindness was punishment by God for sins uh, sins in the womb or sins of the family before. Sort of the mark of Cain that just, just goes Cain, with him wherever. He's which, got this permanent stigma of being sinner. Right. So there are just so many things about this that are so remarkable, you know, that that Jesus even sees him, that Jesus, mm-hmm. and, and we've seen this before in Jesus, that, that, that when he's, when he the spirit comes upon him when he's when he's his sight is restored how so is his voice restored mm-hmm. that that f- the the faith working through him he just yeah. his whole life he would not well, have, he's willing to stand up here's a man who's been blind since birth and he's willing to stand up to the jewish religious exactly, leaders exactly <laughs> exactly it's really amazing now I found an interesting little story in here um, that we learned from Calvin regarding this passage, and that is in this traditional of healing blindness by spittle. And he, he references a specific event that is pointed out by the um, Roman historian Suetonius, and he tells the story of where the emperor Vespasian, despite his reluctance, applied the spittle and healed a blind man. Mm. Um, now, tradition in this age or not, the fact that this is placed into the context of the of the f- official history, if you will, of the Roman Empire sure. is a huge deal, and that this is something practiced by supposedly the Emperor Vespasian. Yeah. Now, Vespasian. Now, uh, just to put you into context, there, Vespasian ruled Rome from sixty nine to seventy nine. Um, and so, and he would have been a general. I mean, he would have been familiar with, um, or potentially familiar with Jesus when Jesus was doing his um, his ministry on mm-hmm. earth. He would have been a, uh, a younger have man. Yeah. Might probably had heard of him, right? Um, and Vespasian, in terms of his reputation, I mean, he was not despised. He was not particularly anti-Jewish or anti, you know, early Christian. No, certainly not the Christians, and but yet Vespasian was was the one who 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 led the war against the Jewish people during this time, right? So he would have been the emperor during the the Jewish wars, but I think what's important to know is that he wasn't particularly out being anti-Jewish per se, um, at least from what the reputation is, but but just those who were. Um, in arms against right. Rome, right? If you will, those who are being um, zealots or who are being um, um, 
particularly anti. And, and by and large, that's how the Roman government has treated the Jewish yeah. folks. As long as they aren't causing problems, they've basically allowed them to continue to um, practice their faith with quite a bit of peace. But there were some who were actively out there persecuting sure. folks, like Nero, for example. Right. Um, so. This is at least his reputation. Well, and as you know, I've mentioned before that Josephus was actually a general uh, in the Jewish revolt in Galilee. And after he was captured, he actually became sort of an apologist for Rome. Trying And, and in his account of the Jewish war, he blames people he called bandits. Right. It's the lestace of uh, that the, the robbers, the bandits that right. Jesus was crucified right, with. Right, yeah, right. Exactly. So he blames he blames the bandits or sort of the 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 people who were in open revolt as the ones right. who were who were stirring up the trouble. Right. And not Rome. Which is in, which is which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, here's the story that would have been known, at least for those who had read Suetonius' history, that would have been known to John's audience, um, I have no doubt. So um, I think, and, and for Calvin, um, it would have reminded Calvin um, that, that the, the Pharisees um, were truly, completely blind to mm. the work of the Holy Spirit and the goodness around them. They were, in Calvin's terms, sent away to Satan. You know, whenever I hear Calvin talking about the Pharisees, I, I, I have this thought that it sounds a lot like what he has to say about the Roman Catholic oh, Church. Oh, <laughs> they, they definitely take what's going on here and transpose it to their time frame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In other words, the Pharisees are completely out of touch with God, um, with who God is, and blind to what is truly mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And in the end, of course, they are completely blind to Christ himself. Quote, those who refuse to acknowledge God in his works make this refusal, not only through indifference, but also through malicious contempt, and they and do they and do they to deserve that God should give them up to the delusions of Satan. Mm. Again, Satan language. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty harsh pretty harsh um, you know um, and and yet, you know, as we noticed, as we noted before, you know, they refused to see what was right before them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, in terms of the miracle itself, no one in the ancient world denies this miracle. No one tries to unexplain it, um, and or during the Reformation as well. There is a sense as to why, um, as to why anyone would deny the miracle. I mean, mm. it's it's there in Scripture, and so while they note that it was a unique practice. Um, the, the, the man's eyes were covered with mud. The questioning seems to stop as if um, understanding how the miracle work is beyond question. Mm-hmm. Um, this is merely work of God. So, you know, I know in the modern day, there's always, well, how did that work? How could that have worked? Right. Why was the mud that we right. even talked about that this was a kind of a, a unique, um, it, it didn't, unique description of miracle within a broader context. Why did he go through that process instead of just speaking the words of healing? Exactly. Exactly. But for this era, there's just, it's just a non-issue. They do, however, make a big deal out of the questioning of the parents Hmm. um, and whether the parents are, can attest to that. Yes, he was really blind and that this did indeed happen. And they, they did point out that the man is old enough to speak for himself and attest to the fact that he can now see, and they point out that the parents are witnesses to this event. Mm. 
One of the attentions in the passage that's pointed out by the reformers is the reluctance of the Pharisees to recognize that Jesus could be the source of healing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> in other words, even if they acknowledge that that man is healed, they did not want to attribute the actual healing yeah. to Christ yeah. because they were so convinced that Jesus was a sinner breaking the law that they could not associate him with the gifts of the Spirit. The blind man, on the other hand, looked at the miracle favorably and regarded Jesus as a prophet. He is the one who can give sight to the blind. And as evidenced by the nuances of the scripture, the reformers seem to understand that there are many levels mm -hmm. here of seeing. Yeah. So what I am noting in regard to the reformers is that they acknowledge healing on different levels. That is not just physical, but sure. also internal. Spiritual. That, spiritual. Yeah. That being in step with God actually goes beyond the physical evidence of being healed to the inner person. Yeah, surely. So a lot of the things Alan pointed out here in terms yeah. of contemporary reading were things the reformers were right on top oh, once of. Once again, I love it when the reformers confirm right. what I have to say. Right. Well, and I think part of it for me, I was kind of ho-humming this because it seemed kind of obvious what's there, but I don't know that that's necessarily right. true. Right. Um, you know, maybe, be, and, and I think... But I do think there's a consistency with the interpretation here mm -hmm. that we have seen, um, at least through the Reformation and into the modern day, that sure. makes this kind of... Well, some of these ideas are fairly obvious, I think. They're mm -hmm. fairly straightforward mm -hmm. when it comes to how you deal with the text. I mean, it's hard not to see this idea of levels of blindness, mm -hmm. you know, different levels of sight, right. you know. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty major theme in this passage. One other piece here I wanted to point out was Calvin um, talking about this passage in reference to human freedom. Now, maybe I should say spiritual freedom mm -hmm. instead. But Calvin says, look, the Pharisees have seen with their eyes the miracle and they refuse to believe. And on the other hand, this meek and lowly blind man who can now see will come to the defense of the faith, even though just awakened. Mm -hmm. In other words, his faith has freed him from the system of the Pharisees that left him destitute mm. of the law, right? Wow. So it's, it's it's that it's that freedom of a Christian, the kind that that Luther talks about. That I am now free from the bonds of the the shackles of society and the church that have bound me here. Mm -hmm. So interesting, but despite the blessings of faith and truth, the Pharisees are guided more by malice. Yeah. So they they are the ones who are bound, if you will. Well, and it's interesting, you know, when you think about that, because, um, you know, I don't know that I've ever approached this passage from the standpoint of thinking about how disadvantaged this man was, not only in his, in his normal life, but even religiously, you know, mm -hmm. because he was viewed as a sinner. And the other thing is that, um, um, you know, the the whole idea of this the system of a religious institution that is self reinforcing right i mean mm -hmm. they, they the the pharisees cannot even entertain the notion that jesus could possibly have healed this man because he must be a sinner and if he did heal this man on the sabbath then he would be breaking their teachings and that would up you know, up in their authority to speak for God, and they can't even countenance that. They can't even allow that. You know, they they have to be the ones who speak for God. Right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. I'm hearing Calvin with his criticism of the Roman Catholic <laughs> yeah, Church in there sure, again, right? Sure. So it's interesting. So in the broader theology of Calvin, this difference would be the basis of his 
predestination. For example, why the Pharisees Mm -hmm. were unable to see the truth when put in front of him. But he regards here freedom in the context, as I said, that Luther does. One who responds to faith is now free from the bondage of human sins. So I think what's important is I don't see this as the determinism that the Calvinism wants wants us to believe, but rather as an explanation for those who do not ever come to faith, Mm. for those who are when who, when presented with the gospel, simply never get it. But there is this undying hope that all will see when confronted with the Holy Scripture, Holy Spirit, and that in seeing, they will turn away from sin and evil, which is why the continued spreading of the gospel, why the continued, um, um, why the, why the continued effort to proselytize is so important still in Calvin's theology. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's people out there like, well, if it's all predetermined, I don't have to do anything. Right, right. And that's not it at all. Right. Um, that's not it at all. But at the end of the day, Calvin's like, there's some people that will never come to script. They, they, it been put right in front of them. And his only explanation is, if it's irresistible grace, they must not be able to ever see it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, As another reformer states, the Pharisees are denying what is a stumbling block for them and those that lead. Mm -hmm. Then in the final analysis of this pericope, the reformers all acknowledge the relationship between spiritual blindness and actual blindness. I think what is interesting here is the discussion of the difference between righteousness by faith alone or in works. So this story is an example of the attachment to works, which blind, Mm. uh, which the blind one to the true which blinds one to the true nature of Christ. Yeah, that's interesting that they would that they would see the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders being blinded by their attachment to works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. Thanks. Thanks, Christy. Hi, everyone. We're back, and we really. In our break, we're talking just really about the complexity of John and how John can often be misinterpreted um, by folks because they don't, um, as being a, a an absolute in terms of salvation, and also with this concept of um, salvation now, um, this idea of born again now, and that's how you you know how you indeed are saved, or or if you don't believe that you are out, um, and how this can causes some problems within in the context of, of John. So I was going to have Alan get started and make some uh, additional observations about it. Thanks, Christy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's the it's sort of the promise and the peril of John's gospel and the realized eschatology in John's gospel. Mm-hmm. And of course, realized eschatology is a term that was given to it by um, theologians in the 20th century to, to because the, the perspective is that, you know, that you don't have to wait for some something out in the future, uh, you have eternal life now. Even judgment happens now mm-hmm. through Jesus' presence. Right, right, right. And what we should see, though, again, I think it's important for us to see that the reason, the, the, the rationale behind this conviction in John's gospel is that Jesus himself represents the presence of God incarnate he is the word made flesh right and so therefore he is you know and 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 as the presence of god incarnate then you know john can say in him was life and the light was the light for all people so this you know his his presence as god is life-giving 
in and of just just by being present, right, he, just right. by being present, he is life giving because he is God incarnate. He is God in flesh, mm-hmm. and so um, that aspect of it, I think, is 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 helpful. And I think you know there are some things that we can we can um, um, benefit from that. You know, in the sense that. Um, you know, it's almost like in the language of synoptics, you know, the kingdom of God is among you. It's already happening now, right? Salvation is already happening now. That's, I think that's, and I think that's the, what we're meant to draw from that mm-hmm. is that you don't have to wait right. to some, right. for some, for some um, unspecified future to experience eternal life. You mm-hmm. already have exactly. that. You already exactly. have the beginnings, at least of that now. Um, we have some of this in Luke too, don't we? Um, we do. I mean, we have some of it in all the Gospels, mm-hmm. really. I mean, but in Luke, you know, we have that emphasis on the year of the Lord and and the kingdom of God and mm-hmm. and the Jesus bringing the blessings of liberation right. and and, right. and peace and and freedom right. uh, associated with the kingdom. Yes, and you have that in the other in the Synoptic mm-hmm. Gospels associated with the with the language of the kingdom of right. God, with right? The kingdom of God. But so many people, I think, today when they hear kingdom of God, they think again of something, something that's way mm-hmm. out there in the future or something that. It's in heaven. It's not something now, right? Right. Eternal life is something that people can have have, have been able to latch on to, at least mm-hmm. in the church, as this is something you can have now. You can have eternal life. Mm-hmm. And and it gets defined not only as the assurance of life everlasting mm-hmm. in God's right. presence, but also a, a different quality of life, a new quality mm-hmm. of life now. Now, this is part of the peril, right? Right. Part of the peril is then that you have... You, you you almost have this um, approach to eternal life in John's gospel that makes people think that you have the fullness of the kingdom and the fullness of the life of the kingdom now. And so, you know, it's almost like no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, all of the things associated with the, the you know, the flesh and, and the world, uh, you know, that's all gone. You get to have this abundant life is the mm-hmm. phrase that's used. Right. And that's from John 10. Right. I came that they may have life and they have it abundantly. Right, right. And so it becomes this phrase, it becomes a phrase, kind of like born again. It becomes right. abundant life. And and that's, that's the definition of the Christian life. You have abundant life now. And the implication is almost that you have the full presence of the blessings of the kingdom in your life now and that's not true to reality and it raises an expectation then that gets disappointed many times exactly and people 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 think well what's wrong with me my faith not must not be good enough because i haven't been able to experience the abundant life that i've heard about in church Right, right, exactly, exactly. And that's the peril of, of mm-hmm. the realized eschatology mm-hmm. of John, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And it's, it's uh, I, I think, um, you know, we, we talked about this earlier, even though there is language in John for a... Uh, a, a slower development of to faith. Absolutely, right. right. I mean, that with the, with the Nicodemus the and with the blind men too, all, right, the, all the right. these people. Yeah. That we just have talked about these last couple pieces, I still think people tend to, you know, um, I'm waiting the truth in life. No one comes to the Father but through me, and it's now, and it's it's absolute, and it's those powerful. those who have not believed are condemned already. Exactly. You know, in John chapter three, right? And so it's this, and and that again, this is this, you know, so part of the part of the um, 
the promise of realized eschatology again is that you know the 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 urgency of the decision that that you know it it, it emphasizes the importance of making a decision uh, of right. faith in Jesus right. Christ right? right but the peril is that right. whatever decision you make in this moment right follows you to eternity and defines your right. eternal destiny well and there's this criticism of one who might question this yeah. right yeah. and 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 that's a real that's also a real problem and how many how many people i know jump to thomas right mm, because right? oh my gosh he can doubt and there's some space for me to doubt because someone else told me well, i it, can't doubt it, it, that's in john i mean john you know doubting thomas is in john no, of course that's the end of john chapter 21 right so you know again what i was as, as i suggested in my in my segment I, to me this language of you either believe and are saved and have eternal life now or you don't believe and you're condemned already by your disbelief. Mm -hmm. That is a result of the situation in which the Johannine community found itself. They were under pressure by the synagogue. They were being expelled from their own families, from their synagogues. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, and, and when you're under attack like that, you tend to get a circle the wagons kind of mentality and us against them. And the lines get drawn, clear, distinct lines between right. us and them. Absolutely. And that's what's going on in John's gospel. Right. And we can certainly understand it. I can understand mm -hmm. the fact that they were under attack and they felt the need to sort of distinguish. You're right. either for us or against right. us. You're either right. one of us or you're not one. Just for safety's sake. Right. Right. When we take that situation that they were in, and then you project it into a theology of salvation that says, okay, here's your chance, and if you refuse your chance right now, then you're done. And it's like, there's no right. second there's chance. There's no second chance There's no it, There's right. no chance to doubt or right. question. There's no opportunity, right. you know. So again, that goes along with the peril of right. realized eschatology well, because it, it leads toward that sort of very mm -hmm. stark either or. You either believe or you don't believe. Right. And if you don't believe, that right. defines your eternal destiny. Well, I think one of the challenges you know, is to take John and forget we have three other Gospels, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it is unique. And, and, it's, and, and the words are so beautiful in so many cases. I mean, how often do we just, when we're looking for that most important um, um, scripture reading and, and it comes from John sure. that one. And, and so I think there's this tendency to say, well, John, maybe that's my gospel. And, mm -hmm. the, and, and how many people send people to John first? I mean, as read John, John will bring you to faith. Well, well, and it's because it's because there are these, there are these wonderful statements yeah. about Jesus and about eternal life in John exactly. that come from this realized eschatology. It's the the right. promise, right? That right. in him was life and the life was the light of all people, right. Right? right? So the promise that life is here now because of Jesus. But what they don't get is that the other side of it is, right. is dangerous right. da yeah. because number one, it, it, it creates an, an expectation that, well, if I have life, then I should have the fullness of life and I should have right. the fullness of the blessings right. of the kingdom. Right. And right. if I don't, then what's wrong with me? And number two, it creates this really stark either or you either believe or you don't believe right. and if you don't believe that defines your eternal destiny exactly exactly and uh, you know uh, again in my opinion that's taking the situation in right. which john's community found right. itself and turning it into a theology of salvation and i don't think that's i don't think I, that's appropriate i don't i, I think don't you're right i don't yeah. see that 
I don't see that elsewhere in the New Testament. I mean, I, like you said, within within this very gospel, you've got people who have a gradual awakening to faith. Right. You've got right. Thomas who at the end says, he not only doubts, he refuses. He says, right. I will never believe right. unless I see the nail prints right, right. Right? So, and the spear wound. And so... Uh, you know, we, we have to take consideration of those aspects of John's gospel as well and, and recognize that soteriology is more complex than just coming to uh, John right. 3 and, and, and yes, citing yes, a few verses right. in John three seventeen through 21 right. or citing, right. citing the verse here in John 9 um, uh, that, that, you know, those who do not see may see and those who do see may become right, blind. You right. know, that, 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 that becomes a basis for soteriology, for our th- theology of salvation. We have to go deeper f- for our theology of salvation mm-hmm. than just a uh, proof I, text. I, I, yeah, I think so too. I, I, I think the challenge is that people tend to catch on to a couple verses. They mm-hmm. make those verses their, you know, their mottos. Um, they don't go beyond that, and therefore they they get dis- and 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 for for many folks, there's this confidence in it, right? It's yes, like it is. for many, it's like, oh, well, hey, I'm obviously believe, I'm obviously saved, therefore, no, no problem. It's 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 these people in between, and the as you mentioned, the division you make, the people that well, if I'm saved, you're not saved. This comes with it. Um, you know, I even liked how Calvin put this here. He's like, this is freedom. This Mm -hmm. is that freedom um, versus the bondage of those who can't see and those who don't see. Mm -hmm. But he always holds out hope that in some way, shape, or form. And the thing about Calvin we forget about is he he even talks of this hope of a universal salvation. Mm -hmm. It's it's he doesn't have the kind of of defined um, white and black that we think tend to think of it as, but rather that that I'm I'm hoping everyone hears the gospel and and can realize faith through it. Yeah. Um, well, and you know what? One of the things I've said about this in the past is that there is this kind of push and pull between exclusion and inclusion in the whole Bible. Yeah. Right. And some people tend to fall down on the side of exclusion, and some people tend to fall down on the side of, of inclusion. Right. And if you fall down on one side or the other, you tend to want to do away with the other side. So if, right. you, if you have an exclusive view of salvation, an exclusive view of the call of Israel to be God's right. special people, an exclusive view of you know only those who believe you know are saved— then you tend to you tend to just stay right. in that, exactly. or if you have an inclusive view, the more inclusive view that holds out hope, right? You know, right. or that sees that that Israel was meant to be a light for all the nations, right. not right. just for themselves, right? Right. Then you you tend to you tend to ignore the exclusive part. Yeah. And the reality is they're both there. Now yes. now here's here's the theological here's where the theological uh, interpretation comes in. We all have to choose where we find um, the eternal truth of Scripture, right? the enduring truth of Scripture. Mm-hmm. There are some truths of Scripture that were true for a certain time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, you know, this statement, the, these statements in John's Gospel about you're either in or out, that had a certain truth for John's Gospel, so for John's community, because mm-hmm. they needed that reinforcement. The mm-hmm. people in the community needed that reinforcement right. because they were under attack. They also needed to be, I think, warned against trusting some who may have been dangerous to them. Okay, mm-hmm. so and we see that in First John. So um, 
there was a truth about that that mm-hmm. applied to that day. Mm-hmm. But is that truth consistent with the abiding truth of God's grace and God's love? I don't think so. And so, you know, it's not a, and some people will say, well, you're just picking and choosing. No, no, <laughs> no. What I'm trying no. to do, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to let, as we would say, the full counsel of the word of God, right. Point me right. to the natural high points in right. what the Bible has to say about salvation. Right. And, and focus on those, shall we say, right. um, um, clear statements, those really um, um, where, where the grace of God comes shining through. You right. know, let those be the ones that, that help me understand these other passages. Okay. Right, right. So, yeah, so where yeah. you have passages that do hold out hope um, uh, for all people to come right. to faith in Jesus Christ. I agree. You know, yeah. the, that I think is 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 more of a of a reflection of God's eternal truth in terms of His purpose of salvation than than John. Some of these statements in John that reflect mm-hmm. a perspective that is kind of skewed by the by the um, conflict that they were dealing right. with. I agree. Yeah, I agree. So it, you know, John is is beautiful, but it's a bit of a mixed bag, it is. and we have to it be is. careful how we deal with I it. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Well, I hope that helps everyone as you're looking at this one, which I think is actually fairly straightforward at the end of the day. But uh, um, this this uh, verse today. But thanks. Anyway, thank you. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us. It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.